My name is Ryan Luke Winslade, and I am a PK and middle child. I know what it's like to be a misfit, an oddball, a weirdo, but I'm okay with that. If you're like me, you are most certainly welcome. Even if you're not, you'll hopefully enjoy yourself here on Pastor's Middle Kid anyway. We'll talk about stuff and look at things a little differently. Alright, let's get started. Once again to Pastor's Middle Kid. I'm Ryan Luke and it's great to have you listening. This week on the show I'm talking to my friend and co-worker Sam Kreisel about the different things that happened in his life that ultimately brought him to YWAM Newcastle as a staff member. I found this conversation to be quite interesting for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I hadn't heard his whole story before and secondly, he comes from a very different background to me. I might be considered to have come from quite a squeaky clean background being a pastor's kid and a missionary kid and having gone to four different Christian schools. Sam comes from a a different kind of upbringing and it is rather intriguing to see the different things that happened in his life that got him to where he not only believes in Jesus and uh, is a Christian, but he works full-time as a missionary and volunteer, sacrificing any other sustainable income and other things for the sake of furthering the love of Jesus. Throughout this last week, I was finally back in the workplace after having been sick with some kind of mild chest sinus infection thing, but that's all mostly over and done with by now. Uh, Still had a little bit of trouble running on the weekend. Um, It hurt to breathe. But anyway, I'm on the mend and almost 100%. And a highlight from this last week that I have was there was a group of about 15 of us that went to Rosewood, which is out near Maitland, um, a property there. And we spent the night hanging out as a group of people Um, talking about leadership and the calling that God has on our lives and tackling some of the harder questions we have like do all leaders have to lead in the same kind of way or what type of people do I have to have around me in order to be effective in the calling that God has for me and other things like that that may sound like really basic answers but they're genuine questions that we have even though we think we know the answers we don't quite believe them Yeah, so it was a really good time of unplugging from everything and sitting around a campfire and having some good food and some quality chats and basically being a family, fellowshipping the way I believe they did in the book of Acts. Um, It was quite a good time. And Sam was actually one of those people that came on the retreat for the night as well. So... Him and I have a little bit of shared history now outside of the office, so it's pretty cool. And as you will hear at the end of the interview too, we've been playing through Ratchet and Clank 3 together, so it's a good way to build a friendship, I think. Alright, now let's get into the newest and obviously the most important segment of Pastor's Middle Kid. Here is Walking with Frodo. 
smoke rises from the mountain of doom. Walking with Frodo. I wish the ring had never come to me. I still only count as one! I can't say I've done an over-the-top amount of reading this week, uh, but I am on page 154, which is about 70 pages further on than I was last week. Uh, so I've been reading at a steady pace of 10 pages a day. Anyway, I'm in the chapter at the sign of the Prancing Pony, which is still in book number one. Uh, and Frodo has just met Strider. If you're not familiar with the story somehow, then, uh, spoiler alert, Strider is Aragorn, and he ends up being the king who returns <laughs> in the third book in the trilogy, The Return of the King. Um, but if you didn't know that, then you had plenty of time, because these books were published in the 50s, so sorry about ruining that surprise, um... Anyway, I've really enjoyed it so far, going through the adventures with Tom Bombadil and on the Barrow Downs. Um, they are a couple of interesting side quests that happen along the way um, that are not essential to the story, but it does give it a little bit more um, of a richer, fuller feeling, I think. Tom Bombadil being somebody from ages past who <laughs> the ring has no effect on. Uh, he actually is able to see Frodo when Frodo puts on the ring um, to test out the invisibility. Yeah, really interesting. Anyway, that is Walking with Frodo for this week. This week I've been listening a lot to Project Excelsior by Adam Young. It is his latest instrumental album inspired by that dude that makes all the jumps from the outer layers of the atmosphere and all that. Like the Red Bull space jump thing. Remember that from a few years back? Yeah, that dude. Anyway, um, this is probably my favourite Adam Young album so far, and uh, it, yeah, I, I feel more creative when I listen to it, so I hope that you will be able to enjoy it yourself as well. This song playing right now is called On The Ground, and at the end of this interview I'll play The Jump, so I'm doing it in a bit of reverse order, but you should check this album out and get it for yourself. It's free, or you can stream it, or you can buy it. That's Project Excelsior by Adam Young. This song is On The Ground, and we'll be right back with Sam Kreisel. Um, except that now this student communications sound dead container doesn't have a door, so <laughs> <laughs> there might be a bit of background noise. Um, so listeners at home or wherever they are will have to excuse us for that. Plus, I'm still in the back of being sick, and Sam has come down with 
<laughs> something I'm, very I'm similar. Sick too. So, uh, good luck to everyone listening. Um, hope you can understand us. No idea. Um, now, I don't know if this is the main reason, but possibly a reason that Sam got sick is we work together. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm hoping that I didn't give it to you, but uh, it's, it's possible. One of a hundred possible ways I could have <laughs> found myself ill. But that's all right. I can breathe through my nose partially. Can't complain. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> You're staying alive, so... Still breathing. That's good. Sweet. So, I... I when did I join the creative team? I kind of jumped on board in March. Yeah. Thereabouts. Yeah, about then. And you've been full-time in creative for how long? Oh, uh, nearly a year. Nearly a year, but I've been doing it like... Uh, on and off since last April kind of thing yeah yeah and so you <laughs> I remember the days where you would come into student communications in the morning mm. and make, make phone calls and then by lunchtime you'd peace out Dip. and work on something fun those were the days yeah <laughs> but now you get to work whole days in the creative mm. department and yes you're the one that operates Instagram yes from my way Newcastle yeah uh, have you? I'm responsible. <laughs> <laughs> have you? Have you put any personal photos up accidentally? No. By getting your accounts mixed up. No, no, no. It's always been the other way around. It's always been sharing YWAM Newcastle posts on my personal one. I'm like, <laughs> oh no, wrong place. So I'm kind of glad. Not that there's nothing wrong with my own post or anything, but it's a yeah. bit weird because then everyone, everyone else knows. Yeah. The the wider Instagram community knows who it is. <laughs> Might give me a few more followers, though, yeah. so who knows? Maybe I should do that. <laughs> Could be some good publicity. Oh, I swear it was an accident. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so have you been manning the Instagram account for the whole time? Um, Yeah, most of that time mm. have been kind of moving more into that, taking that on. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of crazy. I remember first taking it on and just not knowing anything, and I didn't really understand how much of an influence... Uh, Instagram had in the marketing realm mm-hmm. um, even for advertising and stuff like it's a very very powerful medium now Yeah, it's up there with Facebook now having like you can pay to promote your posts and whatever mm-hmm. else and you've got business pages now it's come a long way since it was just you know a platform for sharing pictures with the world so mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy to see that yeah I don't really understand Instagram ads yet uh, I'm, mm. I feel like they're still getting their feet yeah, yeah, it's, st- it's still kind of growing, and you'll probably see as you scroll through sponsored posts, but yeah. even trying to promote it, uh, me and a couple of the other guys are trying to figure it out, and it's kind of like, well, we still haven't figured it out, you'd pay money and nothing would happen. So yeah. kind of like, right, okay. So aside from manning YWM Newcastle's Instagram account, uh, you are also involved in video production and photography. Mm. Um, now, you have... Uh, when you joined YOM Newcastle, did you have any kind of background in that or was it just an interest? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) I made my first video last year. Wow, right. And I had no idea what I was doing. It's pretty crazy, like, even as a department and a team seeing the gear we have now with, like, stabilizers, like, fancy film cameras, like, boom mics and stuff. Like, when I first joined, we had, like, two cameras. No, we had, like... No, we had three but it was like, oh, you can start out using... a Kodak disposable. (laughs) (laughs) No, we we had good cameras, but, like, I I didn't get to jump straight into that. It was like, all right, well, you've got an iPhone 6, so let's let's film on that. And I was like, oh, 
I guess so. <laughs> but I guess at least like learning the potential with that. But photography as well was something that I kind of really started last January mm-hmm. um, with dad buying me a cheap, like basic of basic Sony DSLRs. Yeah. And um, it wasn't a great camera, but mm-hmm. it was good for starting out with. And then having like a strong editing program like mm-hmm. Lightroom on my laptop really helped to to um, make crappy pictures look less crap and yeah. <laughs> you know learning how to actually edit because a lot of people say like editing mm. if you edit your photos you're cheating I'm like well editing is photography yeah, regardless right. like wedding photographers event photographers C- could you imagine if negative photographers didn't develop their photos yeah oh no yeah. you developed it that's cheating oh it's just you meant to never look at it <laughs> but you know that's the thing because no matter the aim of the game is to take the best photo you can I think there's always going to be things you just need to slightly adjust mm-hmm. because when you're on the fly like it can be very easy to miss something that's so obvious or yeah. no matter how hard you try sometimes you can't get the desired effect mm-hmm. to capture what's really in front of you I had that problem just like on Friday yeah. trying to get a sunset and then uh, you know either it's too it's too bright or it's too dark and I just couldn't get the in between mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean in the end I just gave up but programs like that help you yeah. fix that anyway so yeah, that camera really kind of um, helped me explore my passion for photography. And yeah. it's been something that I've actually grown in and I'm quite confident in now, which is cool. Definitely not the best in the business, but, you know, like, um, I'm pretty impressed with how far I've come in, mm-hmm. you know, 18 months or whatever it is. So, yeah. that's cool. That, that's awesome. I, I didn't know that you didn't uh, have very much experience no, in it. very little. Very little. That's cool. That gives someone like me a bit of hope. Yeah, no, that's, that's it, man. Like, you can... <laughs> got a lot of places it's funny even film was something when I first joined the creative team was it was like oh yeah I wouldn't mind learning a bit of film I guess but I really want to do photography mm-hmm. and these days it's mostly film that I do and not photography yeah. but even now <laughs> when I think through things I'm like oh like this would make a cool film shot like this is something I want to film Yeah. and just seeing how that's kind of taken over I still love photography because it's taking a snapshot in time as cliche as that is you know yeah. like that's the reality it's like it's just a moment in time you can look back on and, and be reminded of something like mm-hmm. me trying to delete photos off my phone is it's a horrid ordeal there was yeah. 7,000 on there at one point oh, glory 7,000 <laughs> and there are some terrible photos in there you look at it and you're like why is this on here but it reminds yeah. you of something and I, I suck at deleting them <clears throat> but um don't know where I was getting at with that pictures yeah and film yeah. film now is just I think even learning like with like feature films and stuff like how they use shots and whatever and like how the cameraman can really tell the story like the story is told so much through shots and mm. and like sound and lighting and all the rest of it but just generally camera movement and just as well like editing takes a place in that but yeah. there's a lot of manipulation of just camera angles and mm-hmm. you're like oh and you start to learn a few tricks like this shot builds tension and then you watch a movie and you see them doing that technique you're like oh and yeah. you, then you can start to pick out what's happening because mm-hmm. you see how the camera's moving. Like, oh, this is going to happen. Yeah. And so that's kind of... It's crazy how much I've realized that in movies now, like, since working with Scott and as he's taught me more about film, like, watching movies now, I'm like, oh, I wonder how they got that shot. Yeah. How did they do this? I wonder how big a crew they had. Yeah. How did they light this shot? <laughs> and so I think I've become a little bit insufferable to watch movies with yeah. now because it's just like everyone's like, shut up, man, no one cares. It's a cool explosion, all right? I was like... But how do they do that? Do they actually blow it up for real? Or is that just, yeah. you know, VFX? Yeah. 
<laughs> was that was that done in the in the editing room? Yeah, you know, was that was that post or yeah. what's going on? <laughs> and everyone's like, shut up, man, just enjoy the movie. I think it's I think it's really interesting to consider because even I'm I'm in the very very early stages of being trained in how to use a camera in general mm. or how to how to shoot film, but um, just seeing how big of a difference it makes to to get a good shot mm. because there's only so much you can do in editing yep. you can make a bad shot look pretty good yeah but imagine what you could do with a good shot exactly and it's, yeah. it's like you know these feature films have like I mean they could fix a lot of mistakes in post production but when you've got Final Cut Pro or Adobe Premiere and like yeah. a Canon 5D or something you know you, you don't have a lot of room to kind of yeah it's different if you got like 10 people or something working on post-production editing and mm-hmm. whatever else VFX like when you got people who are skilled in that it's like you can fix a lot of things yeah you can add a lot of things in like Deadpool you know was like all kind of a lot of that was visual effects which is quite extraordinary really regardless yeah. of what you think of the film but um yeah, when you don't have that kind of stuff, you, yeah, you really want to make sure you get it right the first time and not go into it going, oh, well, I can't see anything because that shot was underexposed. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like, well, I can't fix that. <laughs> I mean, to an extent, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's only so much you can fix. The reason I wanted to have you on wasn't uh, was not just because we work together and I want people to understand the types of people I work with, but also because here on PMK... I really want people to be able to express how they felt like they were ever seen as an oddball or a misfit, um, somebody that wasn't quite able to fit in. So, um, And in a way, regardless of how everybody kind of pigeonholes us and how they view us, we have to make do with what we have. Um, mm. And you're somebody that I have seen, not just in film and photography, but in life. You've You've had to... You've had to knuckle down and make do with what you've got, and yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I want to have you on to share a bit of your story, and yeah, as somebody that uh, didn't grow up in a Christian home, I wanted to have you on here to express how you maybe feel like a misfit here, mm. where a lot of people did either grow up in a Christian home or pass as kids, or it's, you come from a different background to me, mm. and I thought that would be interesting conversation to have so tell me a little bit about your background and ultimately how you found jesus my background and how i found jesus well was raised in uh sunny sticky north queensland the balmy north born and bred townsville yeah um australia's biggest country town yeah <laughs> it's the best way i can describe townsville is it nice it's the biggest country town in australia Anyway, so you get this weird mix of, of country meets city folk, meets bogan, meets yeah. <laughs> posh people. It's a interesting place to be, but um, shout out to all my Townsville friends listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a place. Anyway, um, so growing up in Townsville, um, mum and dad and my younger sister, two years younger than me, mm-hmm. um, I guess like long story short like we kind of we weren't a Christian family and as far as I'm aware there weren't really any other Christians in my family mm-hmm. and there was never anything we were like oh it's not real or whatever it was just something we never really kind of talked about 
Yeah. And um, I think maybe once as a kid, I remember asking mum about Jesus or something, and I don't remember the answer, but it was, we were never like, nah, it's, you know, rubbish. Yeah. But um, went to public school until I was in grade five and left after bullying. Mm-hmm. The solution to the bullying was one day turn around and punch the kid that had been picking on me. <laughs> I just had enough, so then he came and found me at lunch. I was minding my own business, just I was like <clears throat> waiting to go home. He came and found me, and he's, he's, oh, come on, punch me again, punch me again. I was like, leave me alone, man. So I went to the principal and said, look, I've had enough of this kid. Will you do something about it? Oh, well, how about you sit up here, and you can colour in, and, you know, then he can't come and bother you. I told mum, and she wasn't stoked. I lost, yeah. you know, I was bullied <laughs> and lost out on my lunch. I had no friends, no lunch, yeah. no freedom. I was like, yeah, right. You take your kid's lunch and he's got nothing. Oh, man, I, I had nothing <laughs> at that school. So we, we dipped and mm-hmm. went into a school in town. So we lived like half an hour out of Townsville. Right. Like, well, it's still Townsville, but just out of town, out in the boonies. More so in the ville rather than the town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> out with the, the dingoes and the cows and yeah. whatever else out that way. <laughs> but we ended up going to school in town. It was like Catholic school. and mm-hmm. so And then went to a Catholic high school. So I had like a little understanding of like who Jesus was, but but um, I found Catholicism interesting, mm-hmm. and it was something just the very like the religious nature to it was something that I just never. I was like, nah, like that doesn't. Yeah, you'd seem... never grown up with it, so it would have that been as well. Very yeah, different. yeah, it was quite different. But it, like, I think one thing as well, like I f- like found found Jesus when I was in high school like in year 12 and then like religion classes after that I found to be painful one of them yeah. we had a PE teacher who'd just talk about how we were all going to die so you walk into class oh today's a great day how are we going to die I've heard of this virus that kills you in seven days or maybe it'll be a meteor <laughs> like that was those, are, those were our class discussions it was like he just kind of share how he reckons we're all going to cark it and then so you walk out of class feeling like yeah, well, uh, the world's going to end doomsday, doom and gloom. This is the end. Yeah. Well, boring. Or then other teachers would be like, oh, let's talk about Islam. Or religion was kind of more like, I don't know what you call them. We had like, um, they call them faith and development classes. And it was right. like, don't do drugs. Yeah. You know, be responsible when you grow up. That kind of stuff. Like Teaching morals. Not yeah, morals and values. That's yeah. it. So religion was more kind of that. Remember having like, the, the school brother would come around and, you know, like, oh, Cyclone Yasi hit. One of, like, the, the worst natural disasters we've had, yeah you know, in a while. That cross, like, that was very much in Townsville. Yeah. And um, it was like, oh, let's just say a prayer. And it, it's like there was a rule book, you know, of how to pray. And it, you just change, you know, some words are interchangeable, like, right. insert <laughs> disaster here. Yeah. So it's kind of weird, but... Right, okay. <clears throat> I think... Um, a big part of me coming to find God was going to um, U Street in um, Townsville. Mm-hmm. So, like, going to, to the YWAM base there and attending U Street Youth Group as, um, it's like a 15-year-old, I think. Mm-hmm. And even that was a big thing to get to there because I was dating a girl at the time. who was like, oh, you should come, you should come. I was like, nah, Christians are dumb. Like, I don't want to go. Yeah. And she wasn't Christian but just liked going. Ended up going eventually, and I was like, this place is whack. These people are whack. Yeah. One of the ways someone described U Street to me was they're like, you could like do a backflip and break your neck and everyone would still cheer for you. Everyone loves you here. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> right, okay. 
was like, this is, place is weird. Yeah. Everyone's, like, so hyped up. Like, what's going on? Yeah. Kept going and made some friends there outside of high school. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was sick. So even after that relationship kind of ended, kept going. Um, but wasn't a big fan of Christians because it was, like, when when I was young. End of year eight, my mum was diagnosed with um, quite a serious kidney tumour. Right. It was um, 10 centimetres. And they found it after, like, wow. she'd been sick a couple months before that, like, bladder infections, just weird things going on, tests after test after test. And it was two days before Christmas, and they um, she got a phone call. And um, I just remember, like, standing there waiting, just seeing how she was talking on the phone because none of us were sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, she told us, like, I have to have a test for, for this and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think we kind of knew that it was a possibility, but we were like, no, nah, it'll be fine. And um, she's just like, okay, yep, thank you, all right. And uh, my auntie was there, was staying at my grandmother's. She just kind of had a broken hip. And was back home recovering, so it was kind of like there was a bit of family stuff had already been going on. Like, yeah, yeah. So Annie was there, and we we're kind of like, "What's what's what's up, Mum? What's wrong?" And my auntie just looked at her in the face and was like, "Is it?" And Mum just nods, and they start crying, and I'm like, "Oi, what, 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 oh. what, what?" And my auntie's just like, "Shut up, go away. Me and your mother need a moment." And I just resented her so much in that moment. So they went outside and came back in, and she said, "Sorry, guys, I have kidney cancer, and I've got 12 months to live." Wow. I remember just as, you know, a tender, I think I was, I was 13, 13, I just yeah. turned 13, and was just devastated, like, the <coughs> uncertainty of what was ahead, mm-hmm. and then a poor old grandmother comes out, and everyone's crying, and yeah. so that was, that was a really hard time for us as a family, mm-hmm. and it wasn't looking good, it was like, you know, you're going to die, there's nothing we can do, kind of thing, but um, our doctor hooked up a uh, surgery in Brisbane, Mm-hmm. So mum and dad flew down to Brisbane while um, we stayed at our grandparents and went to school. So that was hard as well, even just saying goodbye to mum. And it was kind of like the talk, yeah. we had this talk like, I'm going to go have this surgery. I could die on the table. And it was like, wow. right, okay. So that was that was hard. And I remember just giving mum a hug. And like, it sounds a bit soft and, and weird, but like I could feel how much she cared for me. And like, that mm-hmm. was the hardest part. And so... That kind of, the surgery went well. She came back and was pretty, um, pretty um, spent from that. Yeah. And that was a big thing. And then so just over the months, uh, recovering and recovering over, over that. And then, um, but after that, I took some scans and said, like, there is a chance. There's some bruising on your liver. There is a chance it could be uh, tumors or just bruising from surgery. We're not sure yet. Mm-hmm. We'll do scans in another couple of months. Yeah. And so they did that and then confirmed it was... It was tumours, but it wasn't like liver cancer because it's, it was just like secondary kidney cancer of the liver kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the one she had was quite aggressive and they said like when she was first diagnosed, they reckon it had been there for about two years leading up to that. But just all of a sudden out of nowhere, um, she got quite ill. Mm -hmm. So that was the hardest part. And like she, she was a smoker and she would drink, um, never ridiculous. She wasn't the heaviest smoker I'd ever met. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, consistently smoked. So it was, and it was also one of those things like, ah, uh, we don't know what's caused it, but you know, it's a chance. That it's this, it's a chance. It's that. And these days, you know, you, you see in the paper like every other day, oh, breaking new research reckons that looking at paint dry can give you cancer. Everything or, gives you cancer. Everything can give you cancer. You know what I mean? But it's it's and it's never definite. <clears throat> it's always a there's a chance. I read something just the other day like. 
oh, tattoo ink can give you cancer. And I was like, oh, well, yeah. what doesn't give you cancer these days anyway? <laughs> so that was always hard as well, was never having a definite answer of why. Yeah. Um, and I remember as well, like, she started to get sick. So she was diagnosed in 2000, oh, 2009. Mm-hmm. 2010, about mid-year, she started getting really sick. Um, and I remember just feeling so scared and so unsure. I've been pretty optimistic the whole time. I had a friend when I was a kid. His dad had some gnarly kind of cancer in his like diaphragm and stuff spread through his body. Wow. He had like a 15% chance to live and he's still living. Wow. So his family were really good. They're like, just be positive, like keep fighting. Like if Matt can make it, who knows? Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay. I was pretty optimistic, but it got to a point. I remember just like in the shower that night, I, I prayed and I remember... I thought, like, to pray, you had to make, you know, the sign of the cross on the shower, sign of the cross, and I was, I remember just praying, I was like, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, like, you're gonna have to heal my mum, because she's gonna die, I was like, or, you know, like, give her more time, and, um, I remember that's kind of how I prayed, I was just so unsure, Mm -hmm. and, um, just on a whim, kind of turned to God. And it was never, I never had any profound moment after that. I didn't feel anything in that moment. I didn't, it was nothing. It was just kind of like, yeah. mm, okay, we'll see what happens. And then, so as the year went on, she got sicker and sicker. And remember that Christmas, dad Dad kind of had a quiet word with me and my sister. Because about that point, she um, was on this gnarly medication. And the list of side effects from it were like two pages long. It was everything wow. from like dry mouth to like rashes, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, nosebleeds like wow. horrendous horrendous things and I was like and there was also the possibility that that medication could only aggravate the cancer yeah so she never really had chemo I think these were like chemo pills or something I don't know I don't know fully but so my birthday that year she by then she was walking around with a bucket she couldn't eat or drink because she just throw up so she was like living off power aids basically wow just like freeze them and she could eat them um just could not eat or drink so she'd lost a lot of weight which was crazy over like it was about three months she went from being like mum to looking like a frail old lady and I was just I remember at one point I'm a pretty skinny bloke and I remember just kind of like in the car one time just kind of like putting our arms together like sneakily and just seeing like how much she'd faded away because she was she was never like skinny but she was never huge but she was a bigger lady so to to see her fade away was that was hard, and then um mm-hmm. yeah that Christmas dad was kind of like, kids please just try and get along. This could be mum's last Christmas, like just yeah. And we're like oh wow, and that was gnarly because at that <coughs> point the future looked pretty bleak. Nothing's turning around, and um <coughs> yeah day after she actually had a fall visiting dad's parents, um, wow. grand had something like Parkinson's. So she had to, like, a lift at home to yeah. help. And so it had been raining, so we are trying to get mum into the lift, but the concrete was all, like, slimy and wet. Mm. And so she's walking with dad. She's fallen back and hit her head. Oh. And that was kind of, like, the turning point, I think. It was after that. It was kind of, like, there's nothing we can do. Mm. And even, like, I remember, like, she went shopping with some friends after that. So she had to have, like, her head shaved so they could mm. give her stitches. And so she's going around the hospital with a bandage on her head in a wheelchair and everyone's looking at her. But I remember her friends took her shopping when she was in the wheelchair and she said that she just looked in the mirror and started crying because she didn't recognise herself. Wow. And as, like, you know, a young... I was 14 then. 
14-year-old, like, mm. hearing your mother say that it was just gnarly. And she was always very independent as well. So being having to depend upon others was very hard for her. Yeah. And um, so then she ended up passing away in February of 2011. Mm. And it was around, like, then my dad would travel to do snake training courses in Queensland. He's all into reptiles. He's got every bloody Australian snake you can imagine. Yeah. He's <laughs> had crocodiles before, little babies, mm-hmm. lizards, everything. Um, and so he was looking to have to go away for a couple of trips, but it was cyclone season. We had two cyclones around, so mum went into palliative care, so mm-hmm. while dad figured out what he's going to do. And then um, around that time, she was very, very sick. She'd faded away, was just starting to lose her memory as well. I remember one day after school, we went there to palliative care and just kind of walked in the room, hey mum, how you going? just a blank expression on her face. Wow. And that was hard. Mm. I remember it was kind of like, it just took her a moment to recognise who I was. But that was, it was sad. And it was hard not to look sad by that either. Mm. I just had to brush that off and be like, oh, hey mum, how you going? Mm -hmm. But that's when it really kind of hit home. Like, oh, this isn't, like, this is it. This is out of my hands now. And then so that week, while she's pretty ill, like she just started rambling absolute nonsense. But, one day before school. It was the day before Cyclone Yasi was meant to hit. So all the while, we've got one Cyclone to the south, one to the north. Yeah. Big deal. So we're kind of like, what do we do? What's happening? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but Dad said, you know, if uh, Mum wakes up and is making some sense today, I'll come get your kids from school. And I'm like, yep, sweet, cool. The end of the first period, you got a call, like the teacher said, all right, mate, pack your bag, head to the office, you're going home. I was like, yes. Sick. I was stoked. I remember telling all my friends, and I was like, yeah, sick. Like, this is great. And then I walk into the office and the office lady says, oh, hey, mate, mum's um, friend's coming to get you. I was like, oh, dad isn't getting me? No, nah, no, nah, mum's friend. Oh, okay. I was kind of thrown off by that. I was like, oh, it's all right. Then uh, she rocks up with my sister and they're both like red, like red eyes. They've been crying. I was yeah. like, oh, no. I was like, what's going on? We don't know. Your dad just said, get to the hospital now, which was good. Like, it was only five minutes from my school, which was yeah, kind of nice. But I was just good. like... Okay, surely, like, surely this isn't it. What are we walking into? We open the door, there's friends and family, everyone's kind of there, and everyone's kind of crying. I was like, what's going on? And I remember Dad just looking up, he's been crying himself, and he just kind of said with, like, you know, broken voice, Mum's in a coma. I'm sorry, mate. There's nothing we can do. This is it. I remember just crying like I'd never cried before, you know, just, like, so unsure. And even then having, like, it got to the point he's like, Sorry, kids, you got to say goodbye. And that was... Oh. Remember, I just went last because I was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And I remember just apologising to her. Like, I was never a really bad kid, but, <clears throat> you know, growing up with ADD and stuff, I was... Yeah, not terrible, but just definitely caused, like, a bit of trouble. Yeah. Sometimes we'd just be a smart-ass to mum or, mm-hmm. or whatever else. And, and I remember just saying, like, I'm sorry all the times I caused you pain and you know blah 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 like, I'm sorry for this that and the other I love you I wish I could have done more for you please forgive me and I remember she yeah. just opened her eyes and looked at me and I was like wow. whoa so that in itself was so reassuring because it was that that kind of like you know she she heard me and yeah. that was just like so kind of like relieving in a, in a weird way because it was like people always say oh no but when people come as they can hear you and whatever and you're like yeah okay like whatever 
you know, no scientific test is going to reassure me of that, but yeah. but her looking at me from a induced coma was yeah. like, wow. Okay, she just looked right in my eyes, <coughs> and then that was it. We were all like, Mum, Lil, like, are you there? Nothing. And anyway, so we stayed the night at palliative care, and then the next morning walked into to the room, and it was just quiet. And um, Dad was just sitting by the bed crying. I said, what's up? And he just said... I'm sorry, mate. Mum passed away in the morning. Wow. And I remember I just didn't feel anything. I felt numb, you know? Like, yeah. I think you, you learn a lot about death, especially something like that. The movies portray it so differently. Mm-hmm. And even the circumstances, I don't know, but just, like, uh, like one of the first things I felt was kind of relief because it was just, like, she's not in pain anymore because yeah. in the end she was in immense pain. She mm-hmm. was... She like I don't know if she's like clinically depressed, but she was bummed out. Obviously, you know, like just having no kind of self worth anymore, just Mm -hmm. being absolutely like, yeah, just hopeless. Yeah, you know, just being like torn apart by this thing she can't fight on her own. Yeah. But even even then, like you know, you're seeing things like people from the like the the morgue or whatever come like, oh, we're here to take the body, and you're just like, right, okay. Remember just standing there like as they're taken her out in a body bag just numb hadn't yeah. shed a tear I was just like what is happening and I didn't cry until the funeral which is a couple of days later and I yeah. kind of said a couple of things and just in front of like 200 odd people like the place was packed there were people from my school sitting down the front and I remember just getting to the end of my speech and just crying uncontrollably and just yeah. like I can't handle this Yeah. and like that was remember the day she passed though it was just so <laughs> scary not knowing what was ahead. I was never close with my father. Yeah. And then so, having that kind of a thing, you're like, all right, what, what does this mean? Mm. What does this mean? And then like, yeah, I'm thankful because over the years, me and my dad have grown a lot closer and we're, we're pretty good mates. Now, obviously, it's still kind of difficult, yeah. me being a Christian, him not. So it's like, there are some things like, I've heard him say time and time again, like, I'm proud of you. You going to U Street was the best thing ever. Mm. You've come so far. Um, so that's cool. But at the same time, it's like, why do you have to pay for everything? You're a volunteer. Yeah. So, yeah. but for the most part, he's very supportive of what <clears throat> I'm doing, which is cool. But yeah, I remember just being so lost and hopeless. And then, you know, like depression followed after that. Mm. But I never really struggled with like, with like drugs or alcohol or, mm-hmm. or sex or anything like that. Like I, dabbled in those things drugs never really never anything serious I, I drank a little when I was in high school yeah but um so I think for me it was just like getting depressed and listening to music music was a big out <coughs> I used to listen to like I never liked metal yeah which was funny I remember Linkin Park I used to love Linkin Park <laughs> when I was like 12 yeah and mum would just be like turn that screamo crap off yeah. <laughs> like mum it's not even screamo I hate screamo and I remember just justifying myself but now listening to like ridiculously heavy music yeah. I'm like, oh, I wonder what she'd say now yeah. you know like oh dear but yeah. yeah like even even then just listening to really heavy music I didn't have any friends really Yeah, I felt hopeless alone so just listen to music I didn't see any good in the world I didn't see any hope yeah. so this music was just reflected that like people suck the world's a terrible place mm-hmm. so on and so forth and just kind of Struggled with that for a while, and, and high school didn't help either. It was just not a great place. Didn't have a lot of good friends. The school didn't do much. Yeah. Um, I remember they made me see a counsellor after mum died, which was like, made me feel like I was 
There was like, something wrong with you. Yeah, you know, like yeah. I didn't. I was like, I don't need to see a counselor. I'm fine. Look, my mum died. Just leave me alone. Yeah, it was always just numb. Mm. You know what I mean? It was something I never understood. And there are moments, even still now, where it really cuts deep. But for the most part, it's one of those things. I'm like, I don't know if I ever dealt with that. Yeah, going through all that kind of stuff and end up going to Youth Street, thinking that all these people were crazy and like. And you still didn't want anything to do with Jesus because he didn't answer your prayer. No, nah, no, nah, exactly. You know, like, yeah. mum lived for, like, just over 12 months. Yeah. But in the end as well, it was like any more time was just suffering. Yeah, that's right. So it was kind of like, you know, and, like, things happen for a reason or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. There's a lot of philosophical crap around mm-hmm. that. Like, yeah. oh, you know, everything happens for a reason, you know. And I think to, an, to a degree I believe that. Like, good comes from those things. Like... As hard as that was, I definitely matured at a quite a young age. And, you know, even coming to YWAM at 17, a lot of people were like, you're only 17? I was like, yep. But looking back now, uh, after, like, I'm quite self-aware, so looking back, I'm like, oh, I was very immature. Oh, my goodness. But when I first met you, when you are in your DTS, I wanted nothing to do with you. Yeah. <laughs> you drove me Thanks, crazy. Man. But you know what I mean? But even by that, it's still like a lot more mature than everyone else my age yeah which is kind of like it's weird because I look back and I'm like oh man I was a oh I was a piece of work yeah. but then like in hindsight with everything else like you look at everyone else my age and they're all like you've let's been, get on it yeah, and you've been through more yeah yeah so I think that was hard as well it was like you had to learn to to grow up at a very young age and yeah remember even one point like dad just saying to me and my sister were driving into town one day like you and your sister are all I've all I've got that's keeping me going. Wow. You know, it's like that was that was hard, and like we went through hard years as a family after that, because mm-hmm. like Lisa growing up without a mum, she was like twelve when mum died, kind of thing. Yeah. So like she's figuring out like becoming a teenager and like boys and everything else and that like so many things she had to go through without a mother. And yeah. I can't imagine how hard that was for her. Yeah. And you know, like even for me, like it was hard, but not to that degree, like dad couldn't fill the hole that she had in her heart you yeah. know what I mean yeah and so like and then me is just this depressed kid that was just angry all the time I was just so angry mm. and it, it was hard it was really hard for dad like he didn't know what to do he was struggling himself yeah there was no one there for us at first everyone's always like whoa anything you need anything you need but, but when you really need people there were no there's no one there to help um so yeah, then going to U Street and stuff, like at first just not loving it, not loving it, but after just people investing into me and taking the time to be honest and real with me, like I started to open up to the idea of Jesus a little bit more. I remember yeah. asking Fiona, who was running U Street at the time up there, Fiona Saxby she was then, she's now married. I was like, why does this happen? Why, yeah. if God's so good, why does the world suck? And just asking all those like, to me they seem basic, but just, the first questions you kind of ask when you don't believe in God you're like yeah. why if the world's so great why did my mum die yeah. you know if God's so powerful why did she die yeah. and all these kind of gnarly questions just out of anger she explained to me and at first I was kind of like yeah whatever I don't really believe it just seems like a load of rubbish mm-hmm. but then after seeing people people's actions spoke a lot to me yeah. it wasn't more so the words about Jesus it was people's actions and people I remember like some of the people that made the biggest impact in my life mm-hmm. <clears throat> weren't the best Christians. Yeah. I remember one guy, there was a staff at U Street, would <laughs> talk to me about which other, like, kids at U Street bothered him. And I was like, yep, I get that, man. But, and, like, yeah, it's not great. Biblically, it's not perfect. But 
to me, I saw that he wasn't perfect either. And yeah. that made me feel like I could be a Christian because mm. as a young kid, I was like, you got to be perfect. Yeah. I'm not perfect. I, I'm the worst. But seeing him just be honest and really, he's like, look, I love God. <laughs> I struggle to love that kid though. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wow. And even just other people sharing their stories of just gnarly things. I have a good friend who who uh, was engaged and um, like wasn't really a Christian and his fiance fell pregnant. She got an abortion, slept with all his mates. He was grief-stricken, ended up like trying to walk out in front of a truck when God spoke to him. Wow. Um, about to step out in front of one when God says to him, I've got you, my son. And he said he just broke down. And to hear that from a, wow. an Australian as well was a big yeah. deal because a lot of North Americans and stuff, you're like, cool, whatever, dude, you grew up in church. But to hear it from someone who didn't grow up in church, was about who was going to have a kid outside of wedlock, all that yeah. stuff, like things that are like, oh, oh they're bad to talk about that. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, I get this. Yeah, just after a while, I was like, you know what? Nah, I believe in this Jesus, dude, like yeah. for real. And um, yeah, since then, growing a lot and even being in YWAM has been great. It's definitely something that's really hard. Like you were saying, like, definitely, you know, go against the grain from time to time. And yeah. I remember a long, for a long time, it was only, honestly, a couple of weeks ago, I stopped believing. A lot of people would say, oh, you're a punk. And I went along with it, like, yeah, I don't agree with everything. I go yeah. against the grain. I'm a punk. Anti-establishment. Yeah, man. yeah. You know, like, a bit of rage in me. But then I was like, nah, man. Just because I go against the grain doesn't mean I'm a punk. Because with yeah. that comes a rebellious spirit. I was like, no, nah, yeah, I'm not. Right. And it's been hard, but it's been so good being in this community as well because it's helped me to grow in my relationship with God. And if it wasn't for this community, I don't know where I'd be. You know what I mean? It's so so easy to just kind of slip back into other things. but And even like being into metal, you know, like heavy music. Yeah. And even like... <laughs> You know, like, I scream as well. Like, I don't really sing. I, I just scream and shout. Like, I'm loud. Yeah. You know, I'm, I skate, so people are kind of like, oh, oh, he's a rambunctious young person. That's right. <laughs> oh, what's with that angry music? That's right. How is that Christian? He's just here to get fixed up. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Or even when I don't listen to Christian music, oh, how can you listen to that angry music? Yeah, that's Like, right. well, how can you be so ignorant? Yeah. Oops. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess, like, I kind of rambled a little bit, but that's, yeah, like, the long, short story of me coming to know God and being in relationship with, with Him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, at the beginning of next year, you've just started a fundraising campaign. Mm. Um, everyone's favorite two words in YWAM. Yeah. Um, to go to Italy mm-hmm. at the beginning of next year to take a course. Could you... Uh, share briefly about that and a bit of your passion behind it. The course is called the School of Free Sports and Youth Culture mm-hmm. with YWAM Pescara in Italy. And it is aimed at like pioneering within like surf, skate, snowboarding, wakeboarding, parkour kind of subcultures. Yeah. So it's like pioneering things from like if you want to do film in that, film and photography in that to mm-hmm. you want to run businesses and events or camps or whatever else if you want to start a skate brand yeah it's all about that kind of stuff and so um all, i did a youth things that uh directed that, that kind of demo. yeah yeah so i did a youth culture course here last year mm-hmm. and that was really good but this is like that on steroids kind of thing yeah. it's like here's how to focus on drug free, niche groups. drug free steroids yeah yeah drug free steroids That's right. good ones <laughs> Not the illegal kind. The, the Christian steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, especially living in Newey, man, like, it's such, like, a... Such a cool place because there's so many subcultures and, you know, parkour yeah. is a little bit of a thing, but 
surfing and skating is huge here. Yeah. It's not a thing back home. There's no waves to surf, but even skateboarding is not a big deal. It's a lot of scooter kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that I'm stoked about, like, is, you know, I can reach these things and I'm excited to learn, um, especially business and event management, stuff like that. Even, yeah. like, youth mentoring and counseling is something that you learn. I'm super excited for that, to be able to be more focused in uh, coming alongside young people, just as others did to me, you know, like, I really... And it's not all about, like, f- for me, I I don't think I've failed if a kid doesn't know Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. at the end of the day, if they want a relationship with Jesus, that's them. Mm-hmm. I just hope that I can help kids change their lives for good, mm-hmm. help them just see the worth that they have, yeah. see them, you know, like, see themselves as, like, good people and not yeah. as, like, idiots, you know? Like, that's that's, that's kind of, that's the way that it happened to you with, with was, these guys yeah. that that weren't shoving Jesus down your throat by any means. And that that's what got me, man, was people that didn't yeah. say, oh, I'm so sorry about your mum. Jesus can fix it. I was like, piss off, man. She's dead. Yeah. You know, I was so angry. I was just like, I don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Jesus can't fix my, my problem right now. Yeah. And to some people, that's what they need to hear. But to me, I was just like, when people loved me, like the Bible tells us to love others, I was like, mm. oh, man. It's sick, and that's something I want to do with young people, and, and not in a weird way, but just yeah. like encouraging them, telling them that they're yeah. they're cool people, you know, that they don't yeah. bother me, and just taking the time is you know, and some some kids are hard, some kids really test my patience, but even in that, just being like, hey, look, I'm sorry, I, I got short with you. I still yeah. think you're an incredible young person. Yeah. I love hanging out with you. Let's go skate sometime. Yeah. So I'm excited to. I want to be able to run events and camps and stuff like that, based around skating. You know, and, and dive more into skate film and just have documentaries. Like, just share people's stories yeah. and about why they enjoy skateboarding. Like, for me, it's like, it's an escape, you know? Like, even just last night, I was so angry at, at just different situations. like, going for a skate. It started to rain, so I didn't really get to, like, yeah. get a lot of it out. But just, you know, being able to get on a board and express yourself in a way. And that's cool. That's cool in itself. Mm-hmm. So, I um, just wanted to bring a positive shift in that and... And, yeah, not necessarily bring, like, obviously wanting to change that for, like, a kingdom culture, but at the same time, like, just wanting to see young people actually love life and, and have a reason to live and not yeah. just be downcast kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Thanks for Thanks, man. for sharing all that. Of course. Thanks um, for having me. Is there a way that people can support you as you are... Uh, as you're going to do this this course, prayer, please pray prayer. for me. Yeah, but I do have a um, GoFundMe. I'm looking to raise about fourteen thousand dollars. So far, I've raised about three and a half in two weeks. Wow, come on! So stoked with that. A little bit nervous. Yeah. Um. So yeah, financial is definitely definitely a thing. I'll put the link to the GoFundMe in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. Send Sam away. Send Sam, hashtag send Sam away. Hashtag send Sam away. It was a fun little joke we had just around my mate that created the song for that. He called it send Sam away, so I kind of ran with it and made it a, made it a thing. Um, but yeah, prayer and financial is a, a massive need right now. Yeah. Even just like words of encouragement. That's really cool. I'm really excited Thanks, for, for you. When does the school start? January. 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 Yes, yeah, still so. waiting for some more details. It's like... I had to mail away my application. That's awesome. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah. you're expecting a snail mail response in about 
three months I've, time. I've been like asking the guy <laughs> frequently, like, "Hey man, any news? Yeah. What's going on?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, soon, soon, soon." <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, it's all <laughs> it's an adventure, man. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah. Stoked for it though. Really excited to mm-hmm. to learn and grow more. And I mean, travel like traveling will be cool. Getting out of Australia for a little bit will be nice, but just really excited to learn how to like invest into something I care so much about kind of thing yeah I think that'll be cool mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome well uh, everyone at home thank you for listening to Pastors Metal Kid this has yes. been Sam Kreisel, um co-worker you. and friend of mine we are playing through Ratchet and Clank 3 currently together you uh, it's very fun doked and yeah he has a tattoo of Crash Bandicoot on his calf muscle he is a rad dude and it would be awesome if you got on board with him please and Um, thank you again check out the GoFundMe link in the episode description today and remember to keep him in your prayers that would be awesome well Sam thanks for joining the podcast today it has been so good having you thanks for letting me ramble man (laughs) (laughs) appreciate it (laughs) no worries at all um right and that is the end of the episode thank you very much hopefully you'll tune in next time goodbye see ya